The Eindhoven University of Technology, Signify and Philips Research each year invite an eminent scientist to deliver the Holst Memorial Lecture in honour of the physicist Dr. Gilles Holst, who was the first director of the Philips Physics Laboratory and had a profound impact on the entire Brainport region. The 2018 Holst Memorial Lecture, the 42nd, was delivered by Facebook's Head of Artificial Intelligence Research, Jan Lagern, as the recipient of the Holst Medal. Jan has developed a number of new machine learning methods, including a biologically inspired model of image recognition called convolutional neural networks. But now he and his team are transforming Facebook. Radio for Brainport's Jean-Paul Lennart spoke to Jan Lecun. Welcome, Jan Lecun, to Eindhoven. Eindhoven is seen as a hotspot of innovation, and it started when Philips launched the NatLab, Natuurkundig Laboratorium, where Gilles Holst became the first employee, later the director of research, and he had a very particular way of looking into research, giving employees a lot of freedom and still coming up with a lot of interesting things. Now, to um, commemorate his ideas, there is the Holst Medal. You're a recipient of that. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, but for you, it may also be interesting see, to see the combination of working in academia in New York and Facebook. Well, you know, I started my, my career at Bell Labs. And Bell Labs was very much modeled on, on this idea that uh, uh, you do research in an open way and it's, uh, you know, scientist-driven research, kind of bottom-up, and uh, with a lot of freedom to work on uh, whatever topic seems relevant or interesting. And this is one of the things I've tried to reproduce to some extent at uh, Facebook AI Research to kind of, um, you know, maximize the creativity and the, the way to go forward, not, not just to advance technology, but to advance science, which I think is necessary for the domain of, of AI. But I guess artificial intelligence is a key asset for a company like Facebook. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, that's one reason why uh, Facebook Air Research was created in the first place. So it's actually almost exactly five years. Uh, it was uh, announced to the day on uh, December 9th, 2013. And uh, uh, Simon announced that I was, I was joining. And um, um, what happened was that over the, the preceding months, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and the leadership at Facebook had uh, identified the fact that AI was going to be a key technology for the next uh, decade. Mm -hmm. And so they, they decided to uh, uh, invest in that. And that turned out to be true. Uh, Facebook is entirely constructed around deep learning nowadays. You know, you, yeah. you take yeah. deep learning out of Facebook, it doesn't work anymore. And that's even the story which is all over the place, that you had this meeting with Mark Zuckerberg and he asked you, what can you do for this company? Now, I can imagine that Artificial intelligence and uh, analyzing what people do is a great fit together. Uh, but if we ask the same question to you now for the companies here in this region, like Philips, working in the medical domain, where domain knowledge is important, should I just scrap, scrap all their research activities and replace it by AI? Well, replace it, certainly not. You're not going to build MRI machines with uh, simply with AI, but you're going to have AI in the MRI machines. In fact, I think that's probably one of the most exciting applications and developments of, uh, of you know, progress in uh, computer vision these days, which is uh, the application of deep learning convolutional nets in particular, which had something to do with two medical images is one of the hardest topics 
in uh, in uh, radiology these days. So mm-hmm. I find that incredibly exciting. I'm not working on this myself. There's a, a project at Facebook in collaboration with uh, New York University, where I'm a professor, um, and there are you know various projects by my colleagues. Uh, but I find I find that really exciting. So one idea, for example, is that by using uh, deep learning based reconstruction methods, we could accelerate the collection of, of data from an MRI machine, which means that uh, the test would be cheaper, simpler, faster, which means you know people can have more of it, essentially. And then uh, some of the analysis can be done automatically. And so you could have like a fast turnaround for diagnosis. Uh, Make imagine, I think, is one of the biggest applications and it's going to save lives. Yeah. Uh, now, there is this criticism that the computers learn, but the humans do not learn from what the artificial intelligence creates in terms of decision-making. Um, does that mean that a company like Philips would relinquish their domain knowledge if they convert to artificial intelligence? So, first of all, it's not entirely true that we don't learn from the, from those machines. So, for example, uh, uh, people have gotten better at playing chess and Go because they've played against machines and with machines. And so, if the machine is better than you at a particular task, you get better at it because you know you kind of you use it to sort of educate yourself. Generally, what's the most powerful is the combination of a machine and a person. Uh, an expert in the field. So machines are there to kind of complement and sort of empower us, but not not, not replace us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people who believe that uh, radiologists are going to be replaced by AI system. It's just not the case. There's going to be just as many radiologists, except that their job is going to change instead of having to spend eight hours a day in a dark room looking at uh, slices of uh, MRIs. They, you know, they might be able to uh, actually talk to patients or like spend more time on complicated cases. Now, one university after the other is replacing their curriculum by just an artificial intelligence curriculum. But shouldn't these guys also learn about differential equations if in the end they want to have a plane fly in the air or learn a drone how to fly? Well, of course, yes. I mean, particularly if you do mechanical engineering, you're not going to just study AI. Even if you study AI, in fact, you have to... you. You have to study more math than you would otherwise uh, have to if you were kind of more regular computer science, if you want. So regular computer science, at least in North America, but it's partly true also in Europe, uh, does not have a huge requirement for mathematics. And most of it is for discrete mathematics. But if you work on machine learning and AI and neural nets and deep learning, uh, computer vision and, and, and robotics, uh, that requires actually a lot more Continuous math, the kind of math that, you know, we used to study, you know, 40 years ago for, for any engineering program. Uh, so, you know, differential equations. Uh, interestingly, some of the methods that are useful to sort of analyze uh, what happens in the deep learning system, uh, many of them come from statistical physics, for example. So, uh, you know, what I tell young students who want to get into AI and say, if you're ambitious, study, you know, take as many math courses as you can. Uh, take, you know, multivariate calculus and, and you know, partial differential equations and things like that, and, yeah, and study physics also, you know, take quantum mechanics and statistical physics. So that combination of the hardcore mathematics and the new mathematics in artificial intelligence could be a strength of a region like BrainPort with ASML, with Philips, with Signify, with NXP? I think yes, absolutely. The, I mean, also there are lots of opportunities in uh, kind of new types of hardware applied to uh, to AI, and of course, NXP is you know right in that business. But um, uh, I think what, over the next uh, you know five ten years, we're going to see. Uh, you know, neural net accelerator chips popping up in just about everything we buy. I mean, everything that has electronics in it will have a neural net accelerator chip. Within a couple of years, it's going to be the case for mobile phones. 
uh, for cameras, for vacuum cleaners, for you know every toy, every every widget that has electronics in it, if you want, will have uh, some sort of neural net chip in it. So th there's a lot of opportunities there for, for this kind of industry. So basically you're saying the artificial intelligence does not run in the cloud, but in the fog, in the end edges dev devices. That could be an opportunity for a company like Signify, selling lighting products. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, we, we're, we're going to see uh, a motion from, from cloud to the periphery, to mobile devices, and eventually to kind of IoT devices and things like this uh, mm -hmm. that are going to be, you know, become more and more intelligent. Yeah. And how about the big players? Facebook is one, of course. How about China? Yeah, China. So China is interesting because um, it's, you know, investing massively in, uh, in that. And um, an, interesting in China, an interesting thing in China is that the, the public itself is very interested in AI. And, and so China is one of the few countries, the two countries where I'm recognized on the streets, not in the US, it's only China and France. <laughs> um, and, you know, in France, because I'm French, but in China, because there is so much interest for, for AI that, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. Now, the thing is, uh, the, the Chinese have a, uh, an advantage, which is that they have a, a very large home market and a disadvantage, which is that they are a completely isolated ecosystem. Uh, in terms of uh, online services. So that is going to make it difficult for them to kind of export their, uh, their, their services, basically. Yeah. But even a topic like face recognition would be relevant for Facebook as well. Well, I mean, it is. <laughs> in fact, that's one of the things that uh, uh, made uh, uh, Facebook interested in, in deep learning in the first place. So in the uh, spring of 2013, uh, a small group of engineers at Facebook started experimenting with convolutional nets for image recognition and for uh, face recognition, and they were, getting, they were getting really, really good results. Within a few months, they, they sort of beat all the records published a really nice paper at uh, the CVPR, the Big Computer Vision Conference in 2014, uh, that was called DeepFace, and, th and that actually was uh, deployed very quickly for, uh, um, you know, you post a picture and your friends are in the picture and they get tagged automatically or they get alerted that a picture of them has been, uh, yeah. has been uploaded and they can choose to, to tag themselves or not. Um, and uh, at first it wasn't turned on in Europe, now it's turned on in Europe as on a voluntary basis, you don't have to turn it on if you don't want it, but, uh, uh, it, it, you know, people find it really useful. Um, unfortunately, it's been deployed, the, a very similar technology, using convolutional nets, which is kind of my invention, um, has been very widely deployed in, uh, in China on a grand scale, and, uh, you know, it's used to spy on people, essentially. So there are nefarious uses of technology that, uh, thankfully, in, in, in many countries, kind of the democratic institutions protect, protect us against, but it's not, mm -hmm. it's not the case everywhere. You use the word spy upon. The, uh, some people find it a bit scary what is possible with artificial intelligence. There is a large cultural difference between the United States and China, but also Europe is different. Oh, you are coming from Europe. Yeah, there's, uh, there is a difference, of, a very big difference certainly between uh, between China and, uh, you know, partly the rest of the world, Europe certainly, and the U.S. The U.S. and Europe are actually moving towards each other now, now, nowadays instead of kind of moving apart. So certainly there are fewer protections for uh, kind of uh, private data, if you want, in the U.S. than there is in Europe. But companies like Facebook, Facebook has announced uh, uh, a while ago that it was actually applying the same rules uh, to worldwide that, that uh, are required in Europe, like, you know, GDPR. Um, so those are good rules. Yeah, yeah. 
Is there any room for a European variant? There was sometimes in Brussels a discussion, even to the extent that Wim Jonker said, Europe should have its own Facebook just to develop artificial intelligence. That sounds <laughs> a bit weird to me. Actually, no, that's not necessary. And uh, the reason it's not necessary is that um, the, 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 there's several parts to, to developing AI, right? One part is developing new methods, new algorithms, new science, you know, making uh, the, the field go forward. And for this, you don't need uh, a Facebook or Google. Uh, you, need fun you need funding for research. You need a good infrastructure for universities, computation, you know, large computing, computing infrastructure that is accessible to researchers. You need industry support, um, but there is, you know, there could be that in Europe. But you but also need the industry for the application. If you couldn't work with Facebook, your life would be different. Well, so... Um, uh, I'll, I'll come to this in a, in a minute, but uh, there is this myth that somehow you cannot develop new AI techniques if you don't have access to enormous amounts of data like Facebook, Google, and Microsoft do. It's not the case. Uh, at Facebook AI Research, for example, we almost I exclusively use public data because we want to be able to compare our algorithms to other people's. And so we, we don't use internal data. Once we have something that works, of course, you know, we work with engineering groups and they you know, train it on internal data. But to actually make uh, research go forward, you don't, you don't need data that uh, companies like Facebook have, have access to. Um, now, you need the drive from the applications, of course, to be able to um, kind of motivate enough people to kind of work on this. Um, and uh, you know, what, what makes Facebook AI research possible is the fact that Facebook is a large company that you know, is well established in its markets and has you know, enough uh, uh, profits or cash to finance long-term research. It used to be the case for Philips. Philips, uh, as, as, as you were saying, uh, uh, host uh, creation was uh, uh, kind of a forward-looking fundamental lab. I, I had friends working there you know, 20 years ago. Not the case anymore. Uh, you know, Bell Labs is the same. It used to be um, uh, a leading light. Uh, it's kind of a shadow of its former self. Uh, and it's true for a lot of uh, industry research lab uh, uh, across the world, particularly in Europe. So today in Europe, if you want to find an advanced research lab in information technology uh, in industry, there just aren't many, you know, that, that sort of practice open research uh, on a grand scale. There was a time that Mark Zuckerberg came to you and asked you, what can you do for Facebook? Now you're in Eindhoven. If we ask you what can you do here in this region for the, the, the major companies that we have, what would that be? Uh, well, um, you know, it's up to companies like, like Philips or NXP or, or others that, that are kind of sufficiently forward-looking and have, uh, you know, enough uh, resources to really get into this to create, uh, uh, to create research labs, ambitious research labs. If you are not ambitious enough about the goals of a research lab, it's going to be second rate. So, and if you, if you want to be ambitious about it, it has to be open. And so that means the culture, the culture is very different. If you are a company that builds widgets, you tend to be very secretive about your, your research and development. Uh, it's the case for Apple, for example. So Apple is nowhere to be seen on the research circuit for, uh, for, for AI. Uh, they develop technology around AI, but they, they, they don't really push the, the, the science uh, forward because they build widgets and they, and they have a secretive culture. And so the, the companies that uh, actually move the field forward are the ones that are not secretive and not too possessive about intellectual property. Mm. And that puts them in a, in a good solution, in a good position uh, to hire, to innovate, to uh, propose tools that other people use so it makes it easier to kind of make progress. Uh, practice open research, that's my recommendation. How can Facebook protect all the things that you are doing just by having a mar large market share? Uh, so it's not, there's no need for protection. 
what makes the, the value of a technology uh, is how fast you can bring it to market. Okay, so um, the, you know, for a company, you have a choice between working with universities, which is relatively cheap, and then sort of you know, trying to get the, 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 the new innovations from them by either hiring students or by having interns or by just having research contracts with universities. But it creates a relatively slow process with a lot of friction to do technology transfer. Um, and the main issue with technology transfer is not whether you have the best technology, it's whether you believe this good technology is something that you can do something with. So what we find ourselves, um, uh, the, the, the situation we find ourselves sometimes is that we think we have the best system for, I don't know, uh, classifying text, uh, translating language, recognizing speech. We open source it. And uh, we, of course, talk to the engineering group at the same time. And the engineering groups, you know, they're doing their thing, right? They, they don't have a lot of bandwidth. They have to reallocate their resources to pick up on new technology and, and make progress. And so they have to believe that what you're bringing to them is really very useful. And what we do is that we put it in open source, and we can point to it and we say, it has 5,000 stars on GitHub. It's used by 200 other companies except us. Isn't that embarrassing? Um, so, you know, there are things like this that happens where you, um, you know, convincing product groups and engineering groups that your technology is good is the main obstacle to, um, uh, to technology transfer. If you have an in-house research group, even if it practices open research, even if it open sources everything, you will get there first. And that's really the only thing that matters. You don't need to protect it. Uh, Facebook basically doesn't believe in patents. 